0: Thank you. My name is Libby and I am an alcoholic. Hi. Um, thank you, Linda. Um, I, as I was looking at your theme, uh, See and Share Love, that reminded me, even though I just met Linda a few minutes ago and Don, it was just like that. I mean, we were sharing love just within the 20 minutes, and I really appreciate it. And I'd like to thank Jerry and the committee for inviting me here it's, and to, for inviting me back. Um, this is wonderful. I've been here before, and I've, I've never been invited back to a conference like <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really excited. So thank you so much. It's, it's great to be here. Um, well, I tell you what, um, I was just, I'm just like really nervous, I, you know, I just get like that every time I do one of these things, and I was sitting there, and I looked at Bob, my husband, and he was sitting over there a few minutes ago, and I said, come here a minute, and I was looked at him like, you know, help, you know, make me feel good, tell me something, and he looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, relax, you're not that important. <laughs> so I guess he just put me in my place, didn't he? <laughs> But um, no, it, it is good to be here. And I tell you what, I like me best when I am in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where I like me best because here I can, although I'm nervous, I can I can look at y'all and I can I know that you you care and that you know you care about me and, and you care about what's happening to me and, and I feel the same way about you and, and I feel safe in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I tell you, uh, I, I'm only here for a short time out of the day because most of the time. I spend my life working. And so I, I mean, I'm in that cruel reality of a world out there. And you know what? My boss and, and friends and co workers at work, they don't really care if, if I have low self esteem. You know, they don't care if, if, you know, if I have anything wrong with me or, you know, whatever the case may be or if I'm sens- being very sensitive that day. But you do and you care and you listen to me and I really appreciate that. Um, I do. Um, my. Uh, My uh, sobriety date is October the first, nineteen eighty-three, and for that I'm forever grateful. And thank you. And when I was um, when I first came into the program, I um, I guess a year had passed, and I tell this story every time I tell my story. But I was um, I guess I was about a year in 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 sobriety, and I was on the answering service for Alcoholics Anonymous, and I had a phone call from a young lady, and she said, you know. Would you take me to some meetings? And I said yes that I would. Her name was Heidi. I'll never forget it. And I suggested I would take her to some meetings, and that that is exactly what I did. And uh, although she never really maintained any sobriety, we um, you know we be, we became friends and stayed friends only for about six months, unfortunately, because she just went back out there. And about five years later, I was sitting at my house and the phone rang about eleven o'clock at night. And she said, Libba, do you remember who I am? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, well, she says, I want you to know that I'm drinking right now. And she says, I'm not in a blackout, and I'm, I'm, I'm not incoherent, but I am drinking. And she says, I just have to ask you a few questions, if that's okay. And I said, well, certainly. And she said, are you drinking anything right now as we talk? And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, well, have you had anything to drink in the last five years or since I last spoke with you? And I said, no, I haven't. And there was a long pause on the telephone. And then she said, Alcoholics Anonymous really works, doesn't it? And I was so grateful to be able to say that, yes, Alcoholics Anonymous was working in my life then, and it continues to work in my life today. And I tell that story every time I tell my story, and the reason I do is because it helps me to put my life into proper perspective. It helps me to remember who I am and what I am, and that is that I am an alcoholic. And that is the most important thing to me in the whole wide world. It's more important than my husband, it's more important than my son, it's more important than my job, any anything, because, you see, I know me, and I know if I ever, ever let that, that slide down the um, priority scale, that I'd get drunk, and I'd lose it all anyway, so I don't ever want to forget about that, but, you know, I stop, and I ask myself, why why, why am I sober today? And I'd like to think it's because that I try to practice the principles of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in my life on a daily basis. Um, I, I do my meditation and readings every morning, and, and I have a God of my understanding. And I talk with my God uh, not only at night and in the morning but throughout the day. And, and we have a good relationship. And, and I'm, I, I, you know, I love my God a lot. And I have a sponsor. My sponsor's name is Mary, and um, my sponsor and I aren't—we're not like best friends. We don't socialize together, but I'll tell you what, she is some some woman to me. I tell you because there has never been a time when I've called Mary that she hadn't said, "Libba, you know, I'll listen to you and I'll talk with you." And she has, and that—and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I've had my same sponsor for a number of years now, and I'm so glad that I didn't go uh, sponsor hopping because she knows exactly what's happening in my mind. She can tell me, you know, exactly what's happening, and I'm real grateful for that. And I don't have to backtrack and kind of let her let her know exactly what's been going on in my life. Um, I have a home group. My home group is the. Um, New Beginnings group and we meet on Mondays and Friday nights and I sure hope that I miss tonight. Um, I love my home group and I try to do the things that are necessary in my home group. I, I chair meetings and I I, um, I make coffee and I greet people and I show up at my home group unless I'm sick or I'm out of town and I feel like that's really important because the, it says in our big book that the root of our problems is is self, self-centeredness and selfishness and I believe that with all of my heart that if I didn't go You know, that that would be the ultimate of me being selfish, that that would just be the ultimate. So I do have a home group. And and as I had said, I do have um, this sponsor. And my sponsor tells me, she says, Libby, it's all in the willingness, the willingness to do the things that you don't want to do. She says, that's how you grow in this program. Now you see, this is not an easy task for me. And I know that there are some guy women out here will probably understand what I'm saying, that you guys want. You know, I'll think about coming up here in front of this microphone and all. It's kind of like going to a gynecologist. You just never get used to it. <laughs> and it, but you get some yeah, you gotta do, you know. <laughs> but you just never get used to it. So but my sponsor, she is wonderful, and she says, you know, Libby, you've got to do those things. And and so with that thought, with the, you know, with the, the faith in my higher power and the willingness, the willingness on my part, I'm able to stand up here and share with you what I was like, what happened to me, and what I'm like today. I was born in a a little town called Greenwood, South Carolina, and I was born in um, just a few short years ago. uh, Bob used to laugh and say that I look like, or he used to think that I look like his daughter, and now, you know, nobody ever says a word, so I don't ever tell my age anymore, but anyway. um, I was born in Greenwood, South Carolina, and I was born into a home that was very loving and kind, and my mom and dad were... um, they were great parents. My father is deceased, and, um, I, you know, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. My father, I would imagine that he probably was an alcoholic. However, he um, he didn't drink when we were growing up, and, and I'll kind of get into that a little bit later. So I just, I, you know, I saw him drunk on occasions, but not, not, you know, I just wasn't in that kind of a home. And I have a sister, Ann, who is uh, two years older than I am, and um, she is not an alcoholic. My mother is not an alcoholic, and uh, Ann and I have two different perceptions about what the way we grew up and and you see what I heard my parents say to me was and this is what I heard and Ann didn't hear him say this is Libby you take your feelings and you stuff them and you stuff them way way deep down inside and don't you ever ever let anybody know how you're feeling but you just put a smile on your face and make everybody think that you're okay and that's what I did. I did that for for all of my life. And I can still walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I can have a smile on my face and I can tell you that everything is all right because I am a master at doing that. But what you've done is you've taught me that I don't have to do that anymore, that I can tell you what's going on in my life and how I feel. My parents were very education-oriented. They taught me or tried to teach me of high morals and and responsibility in my life. And, um, you know, they taught me of a God that was loving and kind and, and forgiving. And I still have the same God today that I had when I was a little girl. We just connect a little bit differently today. Uh, So I didn't grow up in that alcoholic home, but what I did grow up in was the ism part of this disease. Because, you see, my mother uh, is an adult child of an alcoholic. My father, as I had mentioned, perhaps was an alcoholic, but he has two brothers that have died of alcoholism. I have cousins and aunts and uncles, and it just runs rampant in our family. It just runs rampant and and we had the isms of the the you know the people pleasing personality and the you know the um selfishness and self-centeredness yet always you know didn't care really about what what restaurant we went to it wasn't that kind of selfishness it was just that you know just that that I don't even know how to explain it, but it was just some selfishness and self-centeredness, and it was like a Pollyanna world for me. My parents, get they led me into a Pollyanna world, and, and that's what they did, and I, and I can't blame them. I mean, you know, that's just my mom and dad, and I don't blame them for what they did, but just to give you an example of my mother, and my mother, bless her heart, she is so supportive of me in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she always has been. She's been to one Al-Anon meeting in her life, and that's all, but that's okay. She still has a, you know, she has a, a God of her understanding, but let's just say, for instance, that my mom and I are walking. Uh, we're at the mall, and we're shopping, and I love my mom. We go shopping together, and we're just like best friends, and we're going walking at the mall, And, and let's just say, for instance, that Linda walks up, and Mama doesn't know Linda, so... I will say, Mom, this is uh, Linda. Linda, this is my mother, Doris or Dodie. And so they would you know, be very cordial to each other, and then they'd walk off. And then my mother would look at me in the mall, and she'd say, Is she in BB? Now, the reason my mother would say BB is because she doesn't want anybody at the mall to hear her say a <laughs> So, in my mother's opinion, everybody in here is in BB. <laughs> so, now, that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of what I grew up in, that little Pollyanna world. You know, we just, be quiet now. We just don't want to talk about it very much, you know. So, and that's, that's what it was all about. I assume that... Um, I was fairly popular in school. I was invited to to go on dates, um, although I didn't I didn't feel as pretty as I didn't feel I didn't feel like I could dance as well as anyone else. I didn't feel like I could talk to people. I was always biting my fingernails and shaking my foot when I was sitting down, and just out of pure nervousness. And I always had this this really bad. Feeling in the back and just in my stomach and i couldn 't talk to people and carry on a conversation without you know i just didn 't have that confidence and and that 's the way I was and, and at this point i hadn 't even had anything to drink and I remember this this guy asked me this was when I was in junior in high school and I'm assuming, um, that i 'm assuming I assume this is the first time I ever took a drink this is what i remember and I was a junior in high school, and he said, Come on, Leva, let's go to a fraternity party, and let's go. It was at the Belmont Drive-In Theater, and we went to the Belmont Drive-In Theater, and everybody was sitting on the hoods of their cars, and everybody was laughing and having a good time. And he he poured me a rum and coke, and he says, You drink this rum and coke, and he says, Because if you drink it, you're going to get really, really drunk, but you're going to have a really good time, so drink it really, really fast. Well, you know, I'm a people pleaser and I wanted to do exactly what this guy said, so I said, alright, without any thoughts of my parents at all. And I took that rum and coke and I just guzzled it. And I drank it and I drank it really fast. And I got really, really drunk. And I had a really good time. <laughs> I think. I don't remember because you see the first time I ever drank I blacked out and I, you know, that was pretty much the way that I drank. Um, it, once I drank one, it triggered the obsession for me to drink more and more and, and I didn't have to drink every night but when I drank I ended up getting drunk and, and passing out or blacking, blacking out and then passing out. And um, I had found my friend alcohol. I didn't care about um, my parents and what they had said. I don't remember the next day what what they said to me, what they got mad at me or put me on restrictions or anything like that. The only thing I could think I remembered was that I had found a friend. I don't have that knot in my stomach anymore. And I don't have to bite my fingernails. And I don't have to shake my foot anymore. And I could look at all of those people and I could carry on a conversation. And I knew what I wanted to do, and that was that I wanted to to drink, and that's what I started to do. I had been in a, a, a sorority, and I dropped out of the sorority because um, ultimately I wanted to drink, but they said that that's um, you know that you couldn't drink, and so that's why I dropped out. And I started to hang out with people that were older than me. They were freshmen in college, and at that time you could dr- buy beer at age 18. And they would come home from they would come home from college, and they would they would buy beer. And let me just tell you. That's what my drink of choice was, was beer, and I can see some of you guys in here, but I tell you what, I could. Flat, drink some beer too. And I remember, all I ever wanted to be was a lady. All I ever wanted to be was a lady, and I'd try to sip on that beer, and then I'd end up here, and people say, "Here's to Libba. She's true blue. She's a drunkard through and through. So drink, chug a lug, chug a lug, chug a lug." And that's what I did. I would drink and just chug the beer. That's the way I drank. And um, just, you know, I started my life like that in in, in high school. And to show you how sick attracts sick, I um, I really fell in love with this guy. He was um, a dropout of middle school, but he was cute. He was cute, and he wanted me, and that was important. And um, But he was a very sick person, and he abused me in every way that one can be abused. He abused me physically and verbally and emotionally, uh, sexually physically every way that anyone can be abused and he did that to me and the sad part about it is that i kept going back for more i thought that that's what i deserved i didn't grow up in a home like that my father did not do that to my mother and but that's where my self-esteem was at that particular time in life and i'm real grateful to the god of my understanding for taking this man away from me because um i don't know what i would have done i would have probably married him and, and really gotten myself into some trouble after that but I graduated from high school and after I graduated from high school my parents didn't give me a choice as I told you they said that it um, that they were trying to instill morals and were very education oriented and they said you will go to college you know it wasn't any anything about that you will go to college and I went at first kicking and screaming I didn't want to go but I finally when I got there I said oh now this isn't so bad my roommate liked to drink and we started going out to bars and you could it was a Baptist school and I couldn't uh, oh, gosh. So what we would do is we'd get this cheap perfume and spray it all over us so that when we would go and come back in, then they, they couldn't smell it on us. We would act really drunk, but they couldn't smell anything. So um, I didn't get kicked out of that school, but that's pretty much what we did the whole two, two years um, of college. That was a junior year, uh, a junior college at that time. I mean, I remember that um, I would sign out to go home. That's what we had to do back then. We would, I would sign out to go home, and I would go to the lake. Rather than um, you know go home, and then my parents would call and find it try to find out where I was, and I was very inconsiderate in that, that way, and, and I, I regret that a lot uh, to this day. but anyway, I finished up those two years. I didn't graduate, and I said, "I am not going anywhere else, and you can't make me." and I moved back home with my parents for just a short while, and then I met my first husband. And he drank just the way I did, and we fell in love. And um, he was a uh, junior at Clemson University, and and we fell in love, and uh, we were married about a year later. And I remember standing at the at the top of the church, and with my father, and holding his arm, and I remember thinking, you know, I am the luckiest person in the whole wide world. And you see, what I didn't know about was the disease of alcoholism. I didn't know the road that I was getting ready to take, and and it was not a happy road at all. My husband drank just the way I did, and and as I said, he was a student at Clemson, and I I started going taking some classes at Clemson as well. And 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 we had like ten dollars left at the end of the month, and what we would do is we would go to happy hour, and we would spend it on alcohol, and that's pretty much what we did with our lives, and we just drank all the time, and then reality set in. You see these morals and, and the morals um, and the responsibility that my mom and dad had tried so desperately to instill while I had just tucked them away on the back burner. And then all of a sudden reality came in, and I found out that I was pregnant, and I got really scared. And I went to the doctor, and I said, I will abort this child. I don't want anything to happen to my baby because I was drunk the first six weeks that he was, that um, I was pregnant. Um, I don't consider myself a drug addict, but I did smoke a lot of pot and I, at that particular time and, and during that pregnancy or those six weeks. And, and I did take speed, and I was smoking cigarettes, and I was really scared. I really was. And he said... If you just quit doing everything, I think your baby will be okay. And so that's what I did. I quit doing everything, and, um, and I was miserable. And, I, you know, this should have been the happiest time of my life, and I was absolutely miserable um, and, and, and I just you know I didn't know what to do with myself I didn't know what to, to think my husband was still drinking and uh, I just would say uh, prayers to God because you see I never forgot about God and I would say dear God please please let my baby be okay and if you'll just let my baby be okay I promise you I won't be bad anymore and you see that's what I thought was wrong with me that I was a bad person and and I didn't know that I was just a sick person and and I kept my promise to God and um, for a while, and uh, my baby was born and was born very healthy, and I'm very grateful to God today for that. But two weeks, um, two, excuse me, two months after uh, Rob was born, uh, my husband told me that he wanted a divorce. And I don't want you to think that, that he did it all. I certainly um, caused that marriage to end as well. And so I was devastated, though, and I felt like a failure. And I moved in uh, with my parents, and I had to drink so two months after my child was born I had to drink because I had to get drunk I had to escape those feelings and that's what I was doing at that time of my drinking was just escaping those feelings. And I stayed like that with my parents, and I couldn't drink the way I wanted to because they didn't drink, and and they just drank socially. And I was miserable, absolutely miserable. Then my parents came to me, and they said, um, and I know a a lot of Al-Anons are in here, and I have uh, very much respect for the Al-Anon program, but uh, you'll probably say that my parents were very much enabling me, and they were. But they said, uh, Libby, you have absolutely no skills, and if you'll just go back to school and get an education, we will pay for you to get an apartment, and we will pay for your education. And what I could read into that was, I can drink the way I want to drink. I'll be in an apartment all by myself. And that's what I did. I moved into an apartment. My parents paid for everything. They paid for my my alcohol. They didn't know they were paying for my alcohol, but they paid for my alcohol and my cigarettes, my car, my apartment, and, um, and my college. And I and enrolled at the University of South Carolina at Spartanburg, which was near our home and I enrolled in early childhood education and uh, I started um, going to school and I was working part time and so forth and um, and then I and I, I started dating guys and I never wanted to go out with any guys unless they drank just the way I did. You know, I had one guy to say, you know, Libby, you are really a lot of fun, however, you are very expensive. I mean, because I could flat drink some beer at that point, I mean, I really could and uh, you know, and 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 I did graduate. I got a BA degree in early childhood education, and I started teaching at a very affluent side of town, and um, in this school where all the country club mamas were there, and I knew I better be on my p's and q's. I knew that, and I knew I needed to watch out for myself. And uh, occasionally, the parents—I mean, the teachers—would say, we're going out for happy hour. You want to go?" And I say, "Well, certainly I will." And at this point in my drinking, I knew that I had to really watch out, and. I would say to myself, Libby, you're going to drink just the way that they do. You're going to be a lady, and you're just going to drink the few beers or the few drinks that they are, and then you're going to go home just like them. And I tried to convince myself of that. And we would go to these bars, and then I would drink those two or three drinks, two or three beers, and then I would leave, and I'd feel so proud of myself. And I'd go pick up my son at the nursery, and then I'd stop at a 7-Eleven. Because, you see, once I drank one, it triggered that obsession for me to drink more and more. And I would buy some more beer, and I'd go home, and I'd say to myself, and, you know, I wish this child would hurry up and go to sleep, and I'd fix his dinner. I never abused him that way. I would, I would make his dinner for him, and I would um, you know, put him to bed and hope that he would hurry up and go to sleep because I needed to get drunk. I needed to do what I needed to do. And, you know, I am in education. I have been for a number of years now. And I know, I know that the most important years of a child's life are the first seven years. And I was not there for him. those seven years. Uh, thank God, my mother was there for me and for him because um, I just don't know what I do. And that's been that's been really hard in sobriety for me to to overcome that feeling of guilt um, with him. And but um, at this point of my drinking, um, as I told you, I was teaching in this really fluent school, and um, this friend of mine called me and said, I'd like for you to go on this blind date. And I said, well, okay. And I really didn't want to go because, you see, um, she had set me up before with this really kind of a jerk, and I didn't want to go. But I said, okay, I'll go. And because I am a people pleaser. And I'll never forget it because I had on a white wool suit. And I had on this white wool suit. And the reason I remember is because I spilt a glass of red wine down that suit. But I had on, I was all dressed, and I, had, I drank a couple of beers before my date came, you know. And I opened the door, and there stood the most handsome man I have ever laid my eyes on. Oh my goodness, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. This man was dressed like, oh my goodness, I can't even begin to tell you, he had credit cards. And didn't mind spending all kind of money on me. And he had a company car, and I said, This is what I need as a rich old man. That's exactly what I need. Well, I tell you what, as he says in his story, which I will um, have the pleasure of hearing on Sunday morning, we just fell in sick, and that's what we did. We fell in sick, and we began to drink together, and it was was not too long after that that we, he moved in with me. Now, those morals, the responsibility... They're tucked away on that back burner again. You know, I just kind of forgot about those. And he was mo- living with me and and my son. My son was four years old at the time. And let me just give you a little scenario of what our life was all about. Uh, we would we would love we, we always loved to go to the bars and to go drinking and that's what we would do. And we would go and it would be so romantic and it would be just so wonderful when we would dance and everything would be great and we would be drinking and talking and it's so romantic. And then we would drink one too many and we would cross into a blackout and we would start yelling and screaming and calling each other horrible, horrible names and then we would wake up the next morning and we would be filled with guilt and remorse and I would go off to teach school and he would be at home and uh, he was a he salesman And he would be at home, and and I would leave, and I would feel horrible during the day. And I'd come back home, and my mother would keep Rob most of the time. And I'd come back home, and and, and we would apologize to each other, and we'd start drinking. And we'd decide, let's go to the bars again. And we'd go to the bars, and we'd be drinking and dancing, and everything would be wonderful. And it would be so romantic and so wonderful. And then we would drink one too many, and we'd cross over in that blackout and we'd start yelling and screaming at each other and calling each other bad names. And sometimes there was physical abuse and there was always verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And then we would wake up the next day and we would be filled with guilt and remorse. This didn't go on once and it didn't go on twice. It went on night after night after night after night for the next three years of our lives. And during this time, my son was having terrible nightmares He would yell out in the middle of the night and just scream out and and yell and scream with these nightmares. And sometimes I heard him and sometimes I didn't. Um, And I would not understand. And I'd go down there and think... Why is he doing this? Why can't he be like other children? I teach school. I know how children are supposed to act, and my child is not acting like that. I don't understand. And the teachers were telling me, he went to the same school where I was, and his teacher told me that he needed to be tested. And I refused to have him tested because, you see, I denied him that because I was afraid that he would go back and he would tell them exactly what was going on in our household. So I've denied my son that um, for many years, and and I have lived to regret that. Um, and we were living like this, and it was absolutely unbelievable now I tell you, I never got a DUI knock on wood I never went to jail knock on wood i um and I always say yet, but those things just never happened to me I, you know they just didn't I just got drunk, and that's what happened in my life. I just plane just got drunk um and in, in, in life I tell you what I did Bob got a DUI he got lots of duIs, but he got one, and i was he was driving and i was I was riding along with him. I was riding along with him, and the policeman stopped. And he stopped, and and all of a sudden, he looked at Bob, of course, and he got a DUI. And then he looked at me, and he says, You drive home. I said, All right, I will. You know, this false courage that we get. So I said, sure, I'll do that. Well, I started driving. and Well, they took him off to jail, so I went to the apartment, and I poured some vodka. And I poured this great big glass of vodka, and I just downed this vodka. And I put that vodka under the seat, and I, which I don't drink. And I, I drove to the police station. And this is how sick I was. This is the insanity of, of my disease. Is that every hour on the hour, I would go back out to the police, to the car, to the parking lot, and I would just down a big old glass of vodka, because once I drank one, it triggered that obsession for me to drink more and more, and I didn't care where I was or who I was with. And that morning, we went to when he finally got out of jail, we went home. And we, we were talking that alcoholic talk of, you know, oh, I can't believe this is happening, blah, 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 you know, and so forth. And, and after that, what we did was um, we were sitting there and... Um, talking this talk and I was just like looking at him and we passed out and I didn't make it to work and about 8:30 that morning the phone rang and it was the secretary of our school and she said Libba where are you and I got scared and I got panicky and I said um you know I'm coming my mo- my mother um it, you know is keeping my son he my son was sick and blah 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 and I just made up all these lies and I felt that hole in my stomach just like I did those previous years, before right when I started to drink, or before I started drinking, and 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 it scared me, and I felt that intent impending doom that we all feel sometimes, and I knew then that that I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired, and that we had to do something. Well, it was my son's birthday, his uh, seventh birthday. We had been living like this for three years, and um, I, I went I went home. And, I mean, I, I got up and I asked Bob, "Will you please go to the to the grocery store and get a birthday cake. And he said that he would. So um, I went went to work and I was teaching school and I came home with my son. And of course, there was no birthday cake. And so I wrote a note and I said, I am sick and tired of living like this. I want you out of our house. I don't want you in here anymore, get out. And I took my son by his hand on his seventh birthday and we went to the Family Mart, which is a grocery store down the street. And I was in the grocery store and I was buying a birthday cake and all of a sudden I looked up and there was Bob and he was standing there and coming in the grocery store and he was very, very drunk and he was yelling and screaming and calling me all kind of awful, awful names and he was so drunk. And I looked up and I looked at him and I started yelling at him and calling him horrible names too and I was not drunk. And then I looked at my little son on his seventh birthday and I remembered three weeks Prior to that, him patting me on the back saying, Mama, if you just don't drink, everything's going to be okay if you just don't drink. And I looked around at all of the people standing in the grocery store, and I thought about myself, and I looked at them, and I thought I have turned into nothing but trash. That's all I am is trash. Where where are the morals and the responsibility that my mom and my dad tried so desperately to to instill in me where are those where are they and that night God did for us what we could not do for ourselves and Bob went to treatment (laughs) that's what it was he needed to go to treatment he was causing me to drink too much well so he made, we poured him, his boss and I poured him in the back seat of the car, and uh, he was drinking his, um, his drink of choice, but I'll let him tell you about that, and we poured him in the back seat, and I sipped on a beer to Atlanta, Georgia. And I sipped on this beer and I was being such a lady and I just had one beer all the way there and we Lewis, his boss and I were just talking and talking and so forth. And and so when we got Bob to Atlanta and to Peachtree Hospital, we just kinda of poured him into Peachford Hospital. And then Lewis looked at me and he says, Libba, you have been through so much he said, I'm just so sorry and he says, Won't you please stay with Patty and me? And I looked at him with all the little southern that I had, and I said, Lewis, I just appreciate it so much. I said, but you know, I have just been through so much. I just need to be by myself so I can think. Well, you know what I needed to do? I needed to drink. And I checked into the, in the Holiday Inn in Atlanta, Georgia, and I went down to the bar, and I started to guzzle those beers like I often did, and I felt guilty. And I thought, I have just, Poured my boyfriend into the treatment center, and I'm at a bar guzzling beer. So I ordered about two or three six packs, and I took them to the room, (laughs) and so nobody could see. And I don't remember checking out of the Holiday Inn. I don't remember riding home. I don't driving home. I don't remember anything at all. But I um, I remember um, I know that I drove from Atlanta to Greenville in a blackout. And I do know this as well too, is that I remember the times when I. Um, put my son in the car and without a car seat, and I would drive drunk. And I shudder to think about those things now. I just absolutely shudder to think about them. But I woke up at my friend Debbie's house crying out for help, and that was on a Friday, um, a Friday night. And I was crying, or Saturday, and I was crying out for help. And she said, "Why don't you go to an AA meeting?" And I went to a, um, an AA meeting that Sunday night. And um, I'd like to tell you that that's the only white chip I picked up, but it's not. Um, I know that um, my birthday, as I mentioned, was October the 1st, 1983, and Bob's birthday is September the 17th, 1983. But I'll tell you what, if I knew then what I know today, he would not have two weeks longer than me in this program. But he does. And it just gets me when he gets to celebrate his birthday first. But that's all right. Um, But you take away the alcohol from me, and I'm still here. And I was absolutely petrified. And all of a sudden, you know, I was overwhelmed with fear of people, places, and things. And all of a sudden, here comes Bob out of treatment, and here he comes, Mr. A.A. Come on, honey, let's go to meetings. Well, I just absolutely just died. I mean, now, here is somebody I lived with drunk. I had no idea who he was, sober. And he says, we're going to go to AA meetings, and we're going to go. And he says, honey, let, let me just ask you something. He says, what do you think they thought about me tonight when I talked to them about humility? And, you know, this is in an AA meeting. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is he talking about, you know? And, and he, I, didn't, he, I didn't want to go with him to meetings. I, but I didn't want to go, him to go by himself because I was so afraid that some other woman would get him. Well, I'll tell you what. If y'all could have seen him 18 years ago, you would not have wanted him at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's how blind I was. But he, oh, my goodness, you know, what alcohol will do to us. Um, but we started to go to meetings, and, um, and I was still just absolutely overwhelmed with fear. And all I could say is, my name is Libba, and I'm an alcoholic, and I pass. And I did that for a long, long, long time. And um, we would go to meetings, however, and that was a salvation for us because we would do that, and we joined a home group and so forth. My mother kept my son uh, many, many, many nights. And our life was getting okay. It was pretty good that first year. And then we decided to get married. So we were married um, that first year of sobriety, and... We had a beautiful wedding, and, and it was an AA wedding, and this time I, didn't, um, I, I knew about the disease of alcoholism. I knew about those, the negative side of life, those, those things that could harm you, and, and I knew what to do about them now, and, um, and we did have a nice wedding. And then, became, then it came to be our second year of marriage, and our lives were horrible. And we started yelling and screaming and calling each other horrible, horrible names. And we did that over and over and over again, and the only thing that we were doing is differently is that we weren 't drinking, but we were doing all of the char- all of those horrible defects of character were coming out, and we were just oh, the verbal abuse and emotional abuse was just terrible in our marriage, and we would slam doors, and my son was living in this and, and I mean we were just screaming and hollering. and it was just it was just horrible. And and I remember he walked out and he slammed the door and he went to his sponsor's house. And I really at that point thought, you know, I don't really care if he comes back or not. And he came back and he said, "Um, I've been with Sterling. Sterling has suggested that we do our prayer and meditation together. And I looked at him, and I thought, "You know, I have never done my prayer and meditation with anybody, and I don't particularly want to do it with anybody else, I mean, with anybody, because that's such a private thing. And um, but we thought about it and we talked about it, and we said, "You know, no matter how embarrassed we may be, no matter what the what what it may feel like on the inside, he must know what he's talking about, so let's just try it. So we began by reading the twenty four hour a day book, and we would read that together. And then we would pray the third step prayer and then we would each one say a little prayer and that would, that would be it. And it was very uncomfortable for us for a while. But soon we, you know, very soon after that, we began, began to get very comfortable with that. And then after that, my son joined us and, and, and we began to do our prayer and meditation together um, for all of his um, years until he went off to college. But Bob and I continued to do that. And I used to laugh at the billboards that say, you know, families that pray together uh, stay together. And I used to think that was funny, and and I don't think that anymore because I know that that is the foundation of our marriage. I know it is. Um, You know, we don't see, you know, um, big firecrackers or anything like that. Coming into our marriage, what it's done is that it has brought us closer together. We have respect for one another now. We don't—I wouldn't dream of saying any the things that I used to say to him, and, and vice versa. And he has his program, and I have my program, and we have our program together. And um, and I love him very much. We are we're a good team together, and and, and we're very happy. Um, he has two children. Uh, Kelly and Susan. Kelly and I'm not going to talk much about them because I'm going to save that for Bob because he really talks about them a lot. But Kelly, um, Kelly is married and Susan is married as well and we have two grandchildren and um, and so our, our lives are very filled with, with our, our children and grandchildren and Kelly is in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and she's lived with us and she's become my friend and I don't try to be a mother to her, a stepmother we just are friends and, and we go to AA meetings together and, and, and and we love each other, and, and it's real important for me to to know that. And, and with Susan and Andy, who live about five hours away, um, we're not quite as close, but but we're getting there. In fact, I had, on my birthday, um, I had a, a, a call on my voicemail, and not too long ago, and in April on my birthday, and it was Susan, his daughter, who we have been, you know, it hadn't been the best of situations, and and she said, Lib, I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday and to tell you that I love you. And so I know that um, it's getting better and better. Uh, My son, my son is now 24 years old, and he is a character, I tell you what, he is something else. He is... um, we went to Alateen. He went to Alateen when we came in the program. And he, I told him he had a choice. You either have to go to Alateen or you have to go to Sunday school. But you're going to go for one hour a week to hear somebody talk about God. Your choice. So for a long time he chose Alatine, and I'm real grateful for that because he, I think he learned a lot. And, and, and in fact, we read a lot out of the Alatine book as we were, he was growing up. But soon after that, he started to go to, wanted to go to church, and he started to go to another church. And actually, we are Presbyterians, and he started to go to um, a Baptist church. Which is really different from Presbyterians. But he came to us and he said, "Would you please?" He was playing basketball and he said, "Will you please support us at support me at the Laurel Baptist Church?" And so we said, "Of course we will." Well, Bob always laughs and said that we're like Buzzard Baptists. We only go when somebody's sick or you know they, somebody's died or either you know we're going to be fed or something. And so we supported him on the um, back seat of the Laurel Baptist Church and. One day, it was um, Mother's Day on Sunday, and we were all going out to eat, and Rob was down front with his friends, and I was really antsy. I was ready to go because, you see, I just, you know, a lot of character defects in there. And, you know, I looked at my watch. I said, it's 12 o'clock. The preacher should be finished. You know, I'm ready to go. And he wasn't finished. Well, I said, I'm going to, let's just go. Rob knows where we're going to go eat, and he has his own car. Let's just go. And Bob said, no, I don't think we need to do that. And I said, why? And he said, look. And I looked down, and there was my son accepting God in his life. And I just, I, I couldn't believe it, and I just, you know, and I went down there with the congregation to congratulate him and to to hug him, and he had a big tear in his eye, and he says, Mom, he says, it just, it just feels right. And, you know, I don't care where my son finds God, as long as he finds him, and we continued to support him at that Laurel Baptist Church for a long, long time after that. Um, and in fact, we would all stand up and, and pray the Lord's Prayer at church, and he would say, and y'all keep coming back. It works if you work it. <laughs> but Rob is, um, you know, he, I'm afraid, Rob was a, um, Rob was a, a went to Clemson University, and he had, uh, not too long ago, and he had three and a half years. Three and a half years, one semester left, five courses left at Clemson University, and he came home in May, and he had to go until December, and he says, Mom, and then I said, yeah, and he says, guess what I'm going to do? And I said, what are you going to do when you graduate from college? <laughs> and he says, no, Mom. He says, I'm going to join the Army. And I said, oh, no, don't do that. Well, you know, he just insisted, and so I, because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was able to back up, and I said, just do what you have to do. Do what you have to do. Which it just killed me for him to do that, but he did. And I always laugh now and say that he got a master's degree in life because he did. They sent him to Alaska, and uh, he was not really fond of Alaska um, or the job that he was doing. And but he he did his time in the army, and he did he finished up what he was to do, and he came home. But when he was in the Army, um, I will tell you this, because somebody said I did a real Al-Anon thing and that's okay, Um, he had called home and he said that he was having problems with alcohol and that he was drinking a lot. And of course, you know, that worried me half to death. And uh, so he came home one weekend and so right before he went back he he had just a book bag on and so i had gotten a big book and i had written in this big book I, or in the big book i said i hope that this book can help you as much as it has helped me i love you mom and i um i put it in his book bag before he saw me do it in fact he had gone to the bathroom at the airport when i just slipped it in there and he didn't say anything for a long time and then finally one day he said he called home and he says, you know, Mom, I got so mad at you for doing that. And I said, well, I figured you probably would, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he says, but i got to tell you something. He says, you know, he says, I thought you were really original, but I found out that you're not. And I said, what are you talking about? And he says, well, he says, I thought that all the years that I was growing up, when you'd, when I'd say I was mad at somebody, you'd say, now, honey, I, that's just a resentment. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray for that person for two weeks. And he said all of that's in the book. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know. So anyway, um, but he is, you know, he may be one, he, who knows? I don't know if he's one of us or not. He is back and and he is, um, has taken a course or two, but that's about it. And hopefully he'll, he's a bartender. Now, you know, I'm not going to say any more than that, but I do love him dearly, and he's a wonderful person, but uh, I hope that you'll be here because he might need you one day. Now, I've told you about um, about my family and my work. I was able to go back to school in sobriety, and I got my master's degree, and, um, I, you know, I was so excited about that because what I was able to do was I was able to start something and finish it. It wasn't the money necessarily. It was something that I could just finish, and I felt real proud of that. In fact, I went through that graduation, I didn't care how old I was, and I heard my Sonia. Yeah, way to go, Mom. And um, I no longer teach, teach school, but I am working with, um, with parent educators in, in that field right now, and I absolutely love my job. I, I spend a lot of time at it, and, I, and perhaps I shouldn't, but that's what I do. Um, but I told you about my work. I've told you about my family, and I would be remiss if I did, didn't tell you about me and what's happened to me in sobriety, because I think that that's, all this other is just peripheral stuff. I need to tell you what's happening on the inside of me, and I will take a few minutes to do that. Um, When I came into the program, as I told you, I was overwhelmed with fear. I absolutely refused, refused to do the things that were necessary for me in this program, like getting up and speaking, giving out chips, getting up at the podium to read anything. Now, I would make coffee, and I would greet people, but I didn't want to do those other things. You see, I was very active in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was the the secretary of my home group. I was the secretary of, of intergroup. I was the secretary of the district. I was very active, but I was not into action, and it scared me. I was not into action. I was only sponsored. I think one person, and, and that just kind of fizzled. And this was for about five years of my sobriety. You know, uh, my my sponsor always tells me it's you know like you know it's like an onion that you've got to peel back those layers of the onion. And I was not doing that. I, re, I was just so unwilling to do that. And I knew that I was something was wrong. I knew I was getting squirrely, and I knew that I was going to drink or something. And I went to this lady, who she was not at my sponsor at the time. I didn't have one up until then. And I went to her, and I said, um, I just picked her out. And I said, well, I think I need to do a fourth and a fifth step. Would you listen to it? And she said, of course I will. Not knowing this lady, but I went home, and I wrote it, everything down, and I met her at her home. And I I sat there and I began to share with her my life and when I started to share with her, she said, with all the love in her heart, she said, Lib, I think you need to stop and go back to step one. And I looked at her with all the fear in my heart and I said, Mary, I don't know how. I don't know how to go back to step one. I have been in this program for five years and I don't understand how to use the tools of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't understand anything. And she didn't laugh at me, and she didn't say, you mean you've been here this long and you don't know how? She held my hand, and she said, I will take you through. And at that point, she showed me how to uh, incorporate the steps of the program into my life on a daily basis, and that is the absolute best gift that I have ever received, because she showed me what I could do with the the steps and how to take them out of the program, from out of these rooms, and into that life of reality, and to use the steps and to apply them in my life on a daily basis. And for that, I am forever, ever grateful to her. But she told me, she said, Libba, she said, if you don't walk through your fears, you will never, ever, ever grow. She said, sure, you may not drink again. She said, you may not drink. She said, but you will never grow. And you see, I had refused to get up behind the podium because I was overwhelmed with people, the fear of people. And she says, you've got to walk through this fear. And so I listened to her, and I was scared to death. But when I was six and a half years sober, I got behind the podium at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and I shared with you what I was like, what happened to me, and what I was like today. My experience, strength, and hope. And all of a sudden, you know, a freedom came over me that I cannot even begin to express to you. Um, that, that just overwhelmed me. And it was a freedom because I was released from that fear that I had desperately just held on to for so long. And I knew that she was right. And I knew that God was not going to let me down. You see, I had given God my alcoholism I had given that to him but i had my drinking problem i just hadn't given him everything else and at that point that's what i did is i gave him everything else in my life and i surrendered and all of a sudden the doors started opening up and women started coming into my life and i started to sponsor people and and i mean i had never experienced that before and you see women knew that i was not willing to go to any length and all of a sudden they did that when i was willing They started to come in my way, and I think that, oh, one of the greatest gifts as well is to be able to sponsor other women, is to be able to give away what I have been given so freely, and I I love to sponsor people. It's not an easy job, though. It really isn't, and sometimes when that phone rings at night and I come home from work at 8 or 9 o'clock, I'm tired, and the phone will ring at 10 or 11 o'clock, and sometimes I think, oh, my gosh, I hope it's nobody that has anything seriously wrong, (laughs) you know, and that's just being honest but I answer the phone and inevitably you know it it always helps me but I will share with you one story about a about a lady that I sponsored and uh, actually i'm sponsoring her today but um, uh, she came into the program a number of years ago. In fact, yesterday was her uh, 15th birthday. She celebrated 15 years of sobriety yesterday. But she came into the program, and she came up to me, and she had on cut-off blue jeans, and she had on a midriff top, and she had a big um, tattoo of a panther coming all the way down her back, and she was wild and woolly, and she would say anything to anybody at any time. I mean, she didn't care at all what she said, and she came up to me and she said, would you be my sponsor? I said, sure, we'll talk about it, you know. And so she said, so we started on this road, of this journey together. And after a while, six months or so, I got up the nerve. Now here I am, the sponsor, and I got up the nerve and I said, Sherry, I've just got to ask you something. I said, here you are just as wild as you can be. And just, you know, you'll say anything to anybody. And here I am, just Miss Pollyanna, just Miss Conservative, that, you know, I can hardly say anything to anybody. You know, I'm just very reserved. I said, why in the world would you ask me to be your sponsor? And I can see her now. She put those he- hands on her hips and she says, well, I look at it like this. I figure you could use a little bit of me and I could l- use a little bit of you. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you if I have a panther down my back. <laughs> But I bet you probably can figure out that I don't. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll get a little tattoo somewhere. <laughs> um, but, you know, Sherry, is. she's brought so much joy into my life and so much sunshine. And then she moved away and has been gone for about ten years and was married. And she now has three children and one on the way. And the beautiful part of Sherry is that she is now a college graduate and she teaches school, elementary school. And, and her life continues to get better and better. And she's moved back to Greenville and called me um, just a few weeks ago and said would you continue to be my sponsor um, and can we pick up from where we left off and you know that's the beauty of this program um, that I just love. My sponsor told me she says Libba she says you've got to make those amends. And I said, um, I, I don't really owe any amends. You know, I never... I said, the only thing that I ever did, I said, was I stole a bottle of perfume when I was in the seventh grade, and I felt so guilty, I came home and threw it on the on the ground and, and broke it. I mean, y'all, I didn't steal. I didn't do those things. I just didn't. I, and I didn't cheat. And, and she says, well, let's just write down these amends anyway. So I wrote down my mama and my daddy and so forth, you know, and, and I just... I just left it like that, and I prayed about it. It wasn't too long after that that my father called and asked me to go out to dinner with um, him and Mama, and I said, okay. And we went to this restaurant, and we were sitting there, and Mama and I were talking about teacher kind of things, because my mom was a, is a te- was a teacher. We were talking about all these teacher things, and and, all, and we never talk about alcoholism in our life. Remember, everybody's in BB. So we were there. Uh, everything was very reserved and quiet at the restaurant. And all of a sudden, my daddy looked at me, and he says, Libba. I don't know where you got your alcoholism from, but if I had to bet, I bet you got it from me. I just don't drink anymore. And I knew that that was the the, the time that, that you told me that God would, the moment that God would provide, if I just became, um, I, I became honest and I became uh, ready to say, to give my amends and, and became willing. And I said a little prayer, I said a little prayer, and I looked at my parents and I said, I am so sorry for all the pain that I've caused you. And my parents and I began to talk about the alcoholism in our family. And Daddy began to tell me about the times that he was drinking and the blackouts that he had experienced and that he had to quit drinking because of health problems. And and that's why I never really saw him drunk. I didn't live in that home because he became so ill with other health problems that he couldn't drink and he didn't drink. But he began to tell me about that. And I'm so grateful for that because it wasn't too long after that that my father died. And, And thank God for sponsors because my sponsor, just the one that that taught me that moved me in that direction to, to to make my amends and I'd like to share with you one last story and that is uh, one that's very dear to my heart and my father um, was dying and we didn't we knew that he would die at one at some point but we didn't know exactly when and I had bought a camera and um I bought a camera, and I went over to his house, and we were you know, we were all sitting around, and I said, oh, I've got this new camera, and I'd like to take a picture. So I took a picture of, of Bob and my dad, and I took one of my mother and my dad, and then I gave the camera to Bob, and I said, would you take a picture of Daddy and me? And he said, I sure will. So he took a picture of us, and two days later, my father had died. died. And um, the weekend came around, and my sister was at home, and, and we had to go take care of some legal things. And so I said, oh, I have this film that I want to get developed. I said, let's, uh, and this was, you know, a couple of days after the funeral. And I said, let's go get it developed. And so we went to one of these one-hour kind of deals. And um, and we knew we, we were going to cry, so we took it, the film out to the car, the photographs to the car. And we were sitting in the car, and we were looking at the, at the pictures. And I looked at the one of Bob and, and Daddy, and it was great. And then I looked at the one of... Um, of my mom and daddy and it was great and then I looked at the one of me and my dad and it was all smeared and you couldn't hardly see it at all you couldn't tell it was two people you could only see that well you could see that I had somebody had on a jog a white jogging suit and that was all And of course I got a resentment towards Bob because he took the picture you know but my mom said Libba don't worry about it you know everything is going to be okay you have other memories so I said okay well, I kind of forgot about that, and I put those pictures away, and two weeks later, I was going through what I understand as the grieving cycle, and I was by myself, and I started to cry, and I was at home, and I said, you know, God, you have just given me so much, and I just appreciate it. Uh, you, you, you know, you've, you've kept me sober all these years, and you've, you've helped me go through these fears of mine. You've helped me with my marriage. You've helped me with so many wonderful things, and I appreciate that, and, and you know, but sometimes, I just want to know that my, my daddy is okay, and okay with you. And I said, now this is the way I talk to my God. I don't know about y'all, but I said, you know what, God, a lot of people get signs. And I wish I could get a sign from you. I said, I think that would be pretty neat if I could get a sign just to let me know that, that my daddy is okay. Well, then I felt guilty. And I said, oh, just erase that, God. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that, you know. And I went on about my business. Well, about a week later, I got a, um, a call from um, i mean I, I was at work, and this friend of mine came up to me, a coworker and she said, "I, I bought you a gift and she said it 's a picture frame and she handed it to me and she said, "Maybe you can put um, a picture of you and your daddy in it and I said, "Well, thank you and I took it it was a Friday, and I took it and I, and I, I left it in the car actually and on Sunday, Bob was playing golf, and I was by myself. And so I said, well, I've got to get this picture frame and get it out and put a picture in it. So I started looking through all these different pictures, you know, and I didn't I didn't see one. And then all of a sudden, I found the pictures that we had taken previously. And I got them up, and I got to the one that was of me and my daddy, and it was as clear as the sky is blue. And instantly, the thought came to me, this is the sign that I'm giving you to let you know that your daddy is okay and that he's with me. And... um You know, I've told that story a lot, and I've told it a lot, not only at AA meetings, but other places, too. And a lot of people think, you know, oh, that's technology or whatever, but, you know, I don't believe that. I believe that that is my God working in my life, and and that just makes me feel so wonderful on the inside, to know that, that I have a God that is so trusting and so loving and so kind. As I told you, I always wanted to be a lady. I always wanted to walk out of a room out of a bar and just be such a lady and I'd just be on those bar stools, and I'd just walk out and I'd just fall down you know I never could do it you know and I was never like that but I don't have to be like that anymore I have my self-respect and I have I I can be a lady if I want to be and I can walk into a room and I can look at you and I can hold my head up and that's what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has given me and for that I'm so truly truly grateful and when I first came into The program, as I told you, I was so overwhelmed that I didn't share anything, and so I I wrote poems, and I wrote this poem, and in closing, I'd like to share it with you. Questions never answered, joys never filled, life was a merry-go-round, yet it never stood still. Substitutes for a high, substitutes for a low, a battle within oneself, but on the surface it didn't show. How long was it going to last? Many years was the charade. Then she looked in the mirror at a different mold being made. The guilt was fading. The misery wasn't there. Only a heart full of love, ready to share. Questions were being answered. Joys were being filled. Life was now a merry-go-round, and it didn't stand still. She sang and she danced. She laughed and she cried. She thought there could never be such beautiful feelings inside. What could have happened? How could this dream come true? Then she remembered saying, Thank you, A.A. I love you. Thank you very much.